From St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas, this is The Five O'Clock, a weekly podcast of our Sunday 5 p.m. service. I'm Patrick Miller, the rector of St. Mark's. Welcome. When I was a kid, one of my favorite distant relatives was uh, Theo David, and he was full of those classic bon mots that uh, any good uncle has. One of my favorites that has stuck with me to this day is when we were playing a game of poker, and he was in charge of handing out the chips. And I said, why do you insist? He, he had to be the one that controlled all the, all the bank, the money, right? And why do you insist on doing this, Theo David? And he said, if you can't win when you're keeping score, you don't deserve to play. Now, while we might not see this as the most Christian ethic, it does seem to be the attitude of the corrupt judge in this story. We're told that this judge neither feared God nor had respect for people. And this probably meant at that time and in that society that this judge would rule with whoever was able to best reward the judge after the verdict was handed down. We might see this as a far stretch from today's more just civil society but it was quite commonplace back then, in at least the Greek world. However, there's an interesting twist here, right, in that this judge was presumably a member of the Jewish community that Jesus was telling his Jewish disciples about. They would have seen a corrupt judge and known that this was a violation of all of the rules of the Torah and the ethics that they were supposed to stand by as members of the Jewish faith. So why is this judge being so corrupt? What's, what's the story here? So when you look at Jesus' parable, it seems that there's two characters, right? You have this judge, like I mentioned, but you also have the widow. And in this society, widows would have had very little. Uh, because they could not work in the same way in that agrarian society that the men could, especially if they were older women, um, widows had no way to provide for themselves. They were either to remarry or to enter into, uh, come back to the relationship with uh, their original family, right, before they married into the new one. It was very hard being a widow because of this fact that they couldn't provide for themselves. And so there was all these rules in ancient Jewish society about how we were supposed to treat the widows. But here, we can see this story of the widow, and she's going to the judge herself, this would have been kind of scandalous at the time. Normally, uh, probably a man in the woman's household would have been the one to approach the judge. But we might be able to infer here, this wood widow didn't have any man in her life that could come. She didn't have anybody. She was on her last, uh, she was last grasp. She, 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 she was hopeless. But there is an unstated third character here in the story, right? And that is the widow's adversary, whoever she's trying to get justice over. Now, it's interesting here because the text kind of assumes that this person who is uh, potentially fighting against the widow, uh, granting a verdict in their favor would not be just, right? The, 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 it kind of, the text assumes the judge wants to give this other person a favorable ruling, but the just ruling would be to side with the widow. So who would this unnamed opponent have been? 
It might have been another relative of the widow's deceased husband, maybe a son or a stepson or someone else from that family. This would have been somebody that the widow knows, right? But instead of supporting the widow as they were supposed to in this ancient Jewish society, as told by the prophets repeatedly and throughout the Torah, this relative is taking their widow to court, fighting them for the last bits of their inheritance. This is a very sad, tragic kind of story here. And in a society where you give the favorable ruling to whoever has the most money, well, there's not much hope for a widow in this situation. She was out of luck. So what does she do? Well, if she's not keeping score in the way that society runs this game of legal favors and currying influence... She changes the game. She switches up the incentives so that she might end up in favor. Just as the corrupt judge would have met in secret with these other family members to curry influence and negotiate terms of a bribe, she too meets with the judge one-on-one, right? But unlike the others who would be doing it in secret because it is a shameful act, she is going to the judge straight away. She's going out in public and saying, judge, grant me justice. Side with me. And doing this in public changes the incentives for the judge. The judge has to at least appear to be uncorrupt. Otherwise, he will be replaced and somebody new will be put in his position. He will lose the power and money that he currently has access to. By taking her case out into the streets, out into the public, repeatedly, over and over, making a huge scene. In fact, the, the, the word that the judge uses to describe how the widow is treating him is he's saying that it's like, it's like she's boxing me nonstop, punching me in the face over and over and over again to the point that I'll get black eyes. That's the kind of scene the widow's making here. That changes the incentives. And so the judge is forced, even in his own selfish, corrupt, and God uh, disrespecting ways to side with the widow. And so Jesus is kind of giving a bit of practical advice here as well as his spiritual advice. He, he kind of meshes the two together. We're supposed to fight for justice in as ruthless and as shrewd of a manner as possible. You know, just because the system says these rules mean that this unjust outcome has to happen. Jesus is saying, hey, if that's the case, you need to change the rules, change the system. We've got to protect the widows and protect the orphans and protect the poor and the hungry. But at the same time, there is this spiritual element to the story. Missing from the narrative in the parable Jesus tells is any person who has authority over the judge, right? You can't necessarily compare the judge to God because there is no authority over God, but a judge would serve under a king. Somebody would have to appoint the judge and give him the power that he has. And so the question then comes, well, how do we appeal to this king to remove the corrupt judges that are in our lives? And this is, again, working on both a practical and spiritual level. On the spiritual level, we can see that Jesus ends the parable by saying, someday the Son of Man will come again in glory. And he'll be looking to bring justice to the faithful, to God's chosen. But it ends on kind of a cryptic note. Will he find faithful people? 
The implication seems to be maybe not. And this is why Jesus tells us to pray. Prayer seems kind of tacked on to this whole narrative. What does it have to do with the story at hand? Uh, is, is God really like a corrupt judge? No. See, prayer is kind of like attuning ourselves to God. Right? You know, imagine an old-timey radio dial you know, from back before my time. The closer you could get to the exact frequency of the radio broadcast, the clearer and higher quality the sound would be. And prayer kind of does that same thing to us. We're not necessarily requesting to God to do all these things for us. We're, we are doing that, but it's a means of changing ourselves, uh, attuning ourselves to God's justice and to the way that God works in the world. And again, this has both spiritual implications because we are able to see God working in the lives of those around us, but it also has practical implications. We're able to understand once we take this bigger perspective beyond ourselves, uh, able to see how the system works. And that's the only way that we'll ever be able to, as the widow does in this story, know how to change the incentives so that we're in charge here. More importantly, though, it does allow us to see what injustice is. For me, I define injustice as when we see other human beings made in the image of God and we deny that presence of God within them. When we attune our ways to those of God's, when our eyes see people the way God sees them, it becomes impossible for us to look at our fellow human beings and mistreat them because we see that reflection of God within their very person. Prayer is the act that allows us to do that. It, it kind of elevates us beyond ourselves. We begin to see ourselves the way God sees us and to see those around us the way God sees us. And so we should, as the story tells us, to pray without ceasing. That way we can continually grow in our uh, attunement towards God. And this is the only way that, as any savvy player knows, we'll be able to win the game. We have to be able to know the rules, know how God has designed the world if we ever want to help achieve God's justice here on earth. Here ends the lesson.
This episode was produced by St. Mark's Episcopal Church with special thanks to our band, led by Cameron Deason Hammond. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, so join us every Sunday for the 5 o'clock service at St. Mark's, 3816 Bel Air Boulevard in Houston, Texas, or visit us online at stmarks-houston.org, stmarks-houston.org.